Paul writes in his letter that the reason God instituted the church is specifically in order, quote, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Paul writes that because of what Jesus has done, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets where Christ Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Later on, Paul says this, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So there's this thread that Paul is weaving that's this reminder to the Ephesians that they are part of this body called the church. As a single congregation, it would seem that they have a lot to be proud of. They're doing great. And they have thinkers, and they have philosophers, and they have theologians among them who are doing great work, who are keeping their beliefs about doctrine and their beliefs about God all on track. But they also seem to be tempted to believe that they can go it alone as a church community. And Paul seems to be trying to keep them humble, and to keep them open, and to keep them generous. So what is the love that they had at first, which Paul fears will be, and then John later confirms has been forsaken? Well, although, like I said, we can't know for sure, an argument has been made that the love was brotherly love for Christ's church, love for the church. And why is it that this congregation might have forsaken that love? Well, I think the easy answer is to look around at their neighbors and what we know about what's going on in all the other churches, right? Churches in Galatia who we know quarreled endlessly about the divisions between Jews and Gentiles, divisions that the Ephesians didn't seem to experience. Churches in Corinth who were prone to all sorts of embarrassing inner conflicts that get covered in Paul's letters to the churches there. Ephesus had this internal unity as one part of the body, but Ephesus struggled to see the need for bodily unity in the church as a whole. And it would seem, if we can take an inference from Revelation, that they withdrew, that they withdrew. And I bring this story up tonight because I think that it can help us tell our story. We, too, have known tribulations in recent years, right? We, too, have seen the faults of the church all over the place, from Christians' fanatical and often unchrist-like support for cruelty and prejudice and violence over the last few decades to the moves by many churches to circle the wagons during the last two years of the pandemic in ways that seem to have had more to do with keeping their businesses afloat than it did with loving their neighbors. 
And that's just in the community of non-denominational churches, right? In the Catholic Church, we've seen stories of rampant sex abuse and institutional cover-ups there, even one that was settled just this past week, I think, in Baltimore. In megachurches, we've seen pastor after pastor after pastor in the last decade who've fallen into scandal after scandal after scandal. Churches have bought in to the hope of politics. Churches have been bought off, if we're honest, by businesses and corporations and startup culture. And then in the wake of spending more than a year gathering almost exclusively online, right, where nobody can really check our attendance. I mean, I sort of could. I don't know if you knew this, but I could, I could tell you who was watching, but I could tell you how many people watched the videos. Not a lot. Unless you were having house parties where you gathered together and maybe like 20 or 30 revolution members like watched at the same time. That, that would only be one view, and that would have tricked me. But if that's not what was happening, the answer is me and Sean and Sarah were, were doing a lot of work for seven of you. So, <laughs> which, is, which is fine. Anyways, we spent more than a year doing this, right? Nobody could check the attendance. And then since then, we've seen huge numbers of Christians, including many here at Revolution, right? Who've drifted away from the church. And they've done that, if you ask them, which I've tried to, in order to pursue and practice their faith more or less alone. And if I'm honest, I don't really blame them when they do it. I'm sad because I'm the pastor of a church that, that it's nicer when there are people that gather. So, like, I'm bummed when people don't, but I can't blame them for feeling burned and frustrated. And, like, this doesn't mean anything to them anymore. That doesn't do anything for them. In fact, you might be one of those people, right? Like, you might, this might be in your head the last week you're showing up. You've been hanging on by a thread. Or maybe you just are coming back and this is the first time you're giving it a shot. If so, I want to say that if you're struggling with church, I get it. I really do. I'm struggling with church. To go back where we started tonight, becoming a Christian was supposed to be an answer to our failures and our disappointments. What are we supposed to say to somebody who says, I love Jesus, but I just don't see enough of him in you guys? I say this in all sincerity, this city that we are in is filling up with people who would say that. So what can we do? I think the first temptation that we experience is to do what it seems Ephesus did, which is that we can set ourselves up as something different than all the other guys. Tired of politics and church? We won't say anything. Tired of churches fostering discrimination? Not over here. We'll go march. Tired of the light show? Well, we got rid of our light show years ago, so no worries there. We can make ourselves this little island if we try hard enough. We can make ourselves a little island of something different when it comes to our faith. And if we did that, if we chose to just try to be some little different thing, I can tell you this, it would feel awesome. It would feel really good to be the one church doing it right. So why don't we do that? We don't do it because I'm convinced that the problem with going it alone as a church is the same as the problem with going it alone as an individual. And I really hate to say it, but the truth is this. When we set out alone, we don't usually get very far. We tend to find a comfortable spot and then just settle into it. And that doesn't do us any good, and it doesn't do the church as a whole 
any good either. In that letter to the Ephesians, Paul writes this. He writes, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And there are two things that I think we have to note here. And the first is that the goal of this whole project that God is up to in the world with us the goal of the whole thing he's doing, the work that truly began when Jesus came to us in our despair on the cross and then took its first enormous step towards the end goal when he rose from the dead, that the goal here is the maturity and fullness of the entire body of Christ. Now this gets a little metaphysical, so bear with me just for a moment. It's only one paragraph. I'm not telling you how long the paragraph is, but it's only one. The idea we see here is this. The idea we see and throughout the letters collected in the New Testament is that Jesus' resurrection from the dead can be understood as a kind of rebirth. That it turns out that Jesus goes first when it comes to being born again, which is the thing that he says we need to do. And this time, he's brought along with him not just a physical body, but a spiritual body, which we read over and over and over again is composed of us the people of his church. We are Christ's new body, which is, yes, a kind of symbol which helps us understand that we are his arms and his feet in the world, and therefore we're the means by which his love is meant to be felt by other people. But it's also a a way of understanding how important we are to him as well as how important our growth is and our unity is to him. He can't mature without his body maturing. That passage above said that Christ gave all these gifts to us to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. He can't be the whole mature fullness of himself if he is only a head. And that's what we have, right? We have a really mature head and like a scraggly little child body dangling off it. And the point of our equipping as Christians and our calling as friends and neighbors is not just to do good stuff or to learn how to behave ourselves. The point point is so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity and become mature, attaining to that whole measure of his fullness. So long as we aren't staying unified and maturing, the result is that Christ isn't maturing either. The whole thing that God's doing in the world through the resurrection of Jesus is stunted. 
when we detach ourselves from the body of the church, we may think what we're doing is choosing Jesus over people who are supposed to look and act like him but who don't. But we're also choosing to stunt their growth into Christ-likeness by stepping away. Also, it's worth pointing out that if you are stepping away from Jesus' body, of which he is the head, in order to pursue him, you're not. You're not. I am just as frustrated and sometimes just as heartbroken when I say there is no way of pursuing Christ without being in his church. As you all know, I grew up in rural South Carolina. I went to small schools that literally set their calendars around the assumption that kids were going to have to help their parents get the harvest in. It's true. And I was always a good student in those schools, but not much of a farmer. And so I grew up thinking a lot about how I was going to get out of there. Maybe some of you had similar upbringings. But for both better and worse, my mom would have none of that when I was growing up. And any time I brought it up, she always told me the same thing. She said, if everybody who's different leaves, what's going to change? Now, I want to be careful. I am not calling you to become martyrs or to stay in unhealthy situations, but I am saying this, that pulling back from the mess of the American church and saying, here at Revolution, we do things different, may make us feel real good, but it doesn't do anything to help the whole. If we have been blessed by God with something different and unique, if we are a different part of this body, we need to put what is different about us to work in that body so that the body can grow to maturity. We have to have our eyes on the maturity of the body and not just ourselves. And this is important because the church isn't separate from Christ. He's the head, and the maturity of the plan God's working out on the world through him depends on that church's growth. So the second thing that we can learn from the Ephesians, I think, is more personal, and it's this. The passage said that only by growing together will we, quote, no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming, which is quite poetic. If you read it, it's fun to read out loud, honestly. But nonetheless, it's hard to hear. It's the truth, though. If you're disconnecting because you want to do all of this on your own, the truth is that you won't. When we go it alone, we end up unfed and needy. And I wish this weren't always the case, but it is. And furthermore, it's not an accident that it works that way, nor is it some cosmic injustice that it works that way. It's the way that things are made to be and the way that we are made to be. From our first moment in this life as little babies, it is abundantly clear that we are not able to do this thing on our own, that we're not made for independence but for dependence on one another. And when the people in our lives betray our trust, when they act in ways that are harmful to us, when they act in ways that are harmful to the name of Christ that they dress themselves in. That brokenness that's created by that harm, it's not just a poor witness to the gospel. It's something much worse than that. What it is is it's a cancer in Jesus' own body. 
But here's the thing. When cancer develops in one of your organs, the other organs do nothing for the body if they just shut themselves down or run for the exit. Even if that cancer is a direct threat to them, rather the only solution, the only solution in that context is radical healing. Last week we said that God connects to us, and then after he connects to us, he pours abundant life into us as we abide in him. That's the whole system he sets up. I know you don't always feel it. I don't always feel it, but that's it. That's the only game in town if you want to know where life is going to come from. And this week I want to say that God's plan for the church flows out from the healing that that willingness we have to remain brings. If we want to see our world experience connection with God, we have to care enough about one another to do the hard work in our relationships. It's actually going to reveal something that is greater working in us than what anyone else expects. If we want, which is a super bad paragraph, I should have cut that one. That was not clear. Ugh. So I'm going to say it this way. If we want to see the American church transform, we have to begin here. We have to begin with our own devotion, first, to the, the depth and the sincerity of our faith, and second, to reaching out to the organs and the limbs that are around us. And as the pastor of this church, I can do some of that, but you're relying too much on me to do all of that. I can teach the Bible on Saturday nights. That's no problem. I can work with Andy to launch new small groups so that we can find discipleship in our community. That's, that's, that's something we can do. I can work with Liz Wheeler in order to find service opportunities for you in the community, which is a great thing for you to do that also is part of how you find that maturity. I can work with Maggie right here to help you plan a softball team to crush those churches that I'm talking about partnering with. So, like, that's not a good metaphor. But, but maybe more seriously, I can work with Maggie to help to find, create, fun moments for us in our community so that we can bond with each other and feel close to each other. And I can even spend my work weeks in between doing all the other stuff, investing in other pastors and in other churches in order to build partnerships with them. I do as much of that as I possibly can. But here's the thing. Those efforts are not going to get us very far if everybody isn't involved in them, if we don't all show up together. As we feel more deeply connected here, we have the responsibility to let that connectedness, that life, overflow from us and spread into those places around us. It's the vine and the branches again. If you love our church, here's the way to make that tangible. If you love our church, go visit another one. If you have received more than you know what to do with in your own life, then give your time, your money, whatever, to a charity here in town. If you have deep friendships here at Revolution, that's amazing. But I want you to look around the room in just a little bit and find somebody that you don't know well, and then I want you to take them out for dinner in half an hour. And if some of you are like, no problem, I know everybody here except Katie, and she's from Foundry, so you should take Katie out. But if she says no, if you're looking around saying, I know everybody, then here's the thing, I've got you come back to the same room tomorrow morning. You're not doing anything. Come to church here at Heritage and find somebody that you don't know. And take them out for lunch. The body that we're a part of is only going to reach maturity when we let what God is so freely giving us pour out into the places 
where healing and hope are desperately needed. And sometimes those places that need hope are inside the church as much as they're outside of it. What happens in Ephesus is the Ephesians trade their love for the church for love for their church. For many of us, our temptation is to trade our love for the church for this disconnected love of Jesus alone. But if that's where you're at, it's precisely Jesus who refuses to leave people alone or to let you stay that way. The truth this week is the same truth as last week then, which is that we're already connected. The question is, are we willing to let ourselves feel and experience that connection? And it makes sense in the case of our relationships to the church as a whole to be a bit afraid of opening that door. I feel that. But God's very plan for redemption and restoration of this world waits on us to face that fear so that Jesus' church can find wholeness and maturity. And even if it's hard, like, I want to be a part of that work, and I want our church to be a part of that work. And I'm going to keep pressuring you to be a part of that work. Because if we're not all maturing, then it doesn't matter what happens here. 